the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 461, for Sunday, August 11th, 2013. Greetings, folks! And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share the tips. We share the cool stuff found. We share other things that go on. We answer your questions. And all together now, we try to learn a lot of new stuff about the Mac and Apple products every time we get together here on a beautiful, fresh, crisp morning in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? <clears throat> I got my extra large cup of coffee in my Apple mug. Very good. Now, are you a, uh, I, I, I don't mean to get us on a tangent right away, but are you a, a coffee connoisseur? Are you, are you a, uh, what some may term a coffee snob though? I, I, uh, you know, I, I get it if you, you know, are, are after all that stuff. So I don't say that in a negative way. Are, or do you just take it however it comes? Uh, well, I have a burr grinder and grind my own. Okay typically drink it black yes all otherwise right. it's just now do you what, put it why, through why, a press why? and all that stuff are you uh are you well like why i typically grind it before okay you know, whatever form i put it in whether Got it be it. espresso i have a dual espresso coffee maker oh that's good that's good cool that's yeah I, I i love the smell of coffee and i love the taste of coffee ice cream but uh as far as drinking coffee goes it's just not my thing so yeah yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's get into the show here, John. Let's let's go straight to uh, let's go to Leon. Let's see what Leon has I'm, to say. And am I prepared? I hope so. The answer is yes. So this is from Leon and it was sent with the Mac Geek app app, I believe. Yeah. Awesome. Like it. Yeah. So uh, dear Dave and John. All right. He jumps right in on a similar note about iPad and data. Um. To figure out how much data I use when away from home wife. Don't mumble, don't mumble, don't mumble. Speak it aloud so that the listeners can hear because they haven't read it yet. They have no prior knowledge of what Leon has to say. All right. Go, oh. go, go. All right. Is there here? Well, here's the question. Is there a program for my iPad that I could get that would show me the cumulative data used over a 30 day period so I can size my data plan purchase based on what I am actually using? Excellent question. I have yet to activate my iPad for a data-only plan, and I don't want to buy more data than I will use month to month. A great question. And there are two answers, Dave. Not one, but two. All right. Bonus. Well, the one way to do it, and I think it's carrier-specific, is that if you go on your iDevice, or at least on my iPhone, Dave, if I go to Settings, General, Usage... And then on the bottom of that screen, I have a cellular usage category, and it shows cumulative, uh, and it has a, another thing saying cellular network data, and it shows sent and received. So that's one way, but that's a pain in the neck, because you got to keep going there, right? Right, but, uh, but it also it, won't show him what he has used in the past over Wi-Fi to help answer this question of how much he correct. should buy in month number one, so... So the way to do that is you get a program called Data Man, which I have had, or I've been running for quite a while. I, I think I got a, a promo code for it at one point here. 
and it looks like there's a couple of new versions here. But this is a utility that does exactly what you want. You install it, you give it the date for a billing period, and then it will break out your Wi-Fi and data usage for that period. Not only will it do that, it can also give you notifications to tell you when you reach certain thresholds. So once you've figured out what your typical usage is, or, you know, maybe for example, yeah, if you go over a certain amount, then, then you're going to get a surcharge. You could put that value, uh, as one of the, uh, uh, alerts. Yeah, there we go. And that's it. So it's xvision.me slash dataman. And there's a, I guess two here, there's a regular one and a, a, a pro version. Well, yeah, it's, it's changed a little bit, right? There's, um, the, the iPad app is the pro version is the only one that's built for the iPad. Um, and, uh, and they do some, they do some interesting things. It's definitely worth checking out. I've, uh, I've had it for a while too. And, and it's, I don't use it all the time. Um, because we have a shared data plan amongst the four of us. And so I'm not, I, I don't always need to be aware of, of, uh, specifically what's going on but it's it's also a great thing to learn which of your apps is chewing up your data and uh, i've done this with the kids from time to time when you know like suddenly they'll see a, a spike in their regular data usage and it's like all right let's figure out what's going on and uh you know i remember my my daughter saw this huge spike and it turned out to be uh, a chat app called imo which is which is actually uh cool stuff found here i think we've mentioned it before but imo.im is a web interface for it but they also have a free app and it lets you connect to uh aol instant messenger yahoo skype and it's a it was a great skype client i don't think it works well for skype anymore at least it had a period of time where it wasn't working well for skype but uh, way better than skype's app because it doesn't it it connects to imo servers as opposed to Skype peer-to-peer thing that's not efficient at all, even in a little way. But uh, if Skype, if that doesn't work for Skype, there is one called IM Plus Pro that or Plus IM, I think, is their uh, their URL. So there you go. Okay, and some, that's some bonus that, I guess, stuff. Is the, right, and I think that's the major difference between the Pro and the regular version is that the Pro version, which is four ninety nine, and the regular version, which is ninety nine cents, the Pro version. <coughs> from what I can see on the feature list here, is yep. the uh, per-app usage, which, yeah, that's really handy because... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just... that's a big mystery. It's right. Otherwise, you're running this mystery. Yeah, yeah. It, it's... it's um, Yep, it's good. That's good. All right, let's... Uh, Steve had a, a great question. Um, Steve says, uh, so this is happening to me on at least three computers... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Starting at the right spot. He says, this happens to me at least three times from three different websites. I get a mail from a web form sent to me uh, on my iMac. The mail comes into my computer and I get a notification, but then the mail disappears. First, I looked in junk. It's not there. Then I log into iCloud on the web. Not there. Then I search mail for the sender's address or a word I know is in the subject of the message. Can't find the mail. So I go to the website. I retry the form in case it's a password. In this case, it's a password reset. Uh, that's being auto sent to me. And I do it three times. And the same thing happens each time I see the mail appear and then it disappears. Last time this happened to me on a different website, I went and turned off all my rules uh, in mail to make sure there wasn't it, that, that I wasn't deleting it. 
Uh, but I still cannot find the mail. It's not in my trash. It's not in my junk. It's not on iCloud, even with all the rules turned off. I have an iMac using the latest mountain lion and the address the mail is sending is to my Mac.Mac address uh, or mobile me address or whatever it is. Uh, iCloud address, I guess now we call them uh, using mail app. Any idea what's happening? So uh, clearly it something else is accessing your mail because if it were a rule on your computer, you would not get the notification. The rules, the notification is the last thing in the chain that happens, right? So everything is processing. Uh, and then whenever the message, when it, when all the processing is done, the rules are finished inside mail, then the notification triggers if applicable. Um, so something else is accessing your mail. Now it could be something else on your computer, another app perhaps, or something on another computer. And that computer may be owned by you, or it might be some third party computer that uh, perhaps you've authorized in the past. There's a lot of these mail services like mailbox and uh, uh, I think Evo mail is one of them. Right. I mean, and, but there's lots of mail processing uh, services out there. In fact, we mentioned one last week that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rave about in a minute because I love it. But, um, but so here's some, some thoughts, another computer running mail, right. That has its own rules. Uh, that's processing just a little out of sync with you. And then, you know, pulling this out. Um, so, it, it, you know, what I would suggest is if some mail, the only way you're going to be able to access that mail account is with your username, which is your email address and your password. OK, so change your password on your mail account. And I all but guarantee that this odd behavior will stop. You'll need to go onto your iMac and and, uh, you know, enter the new password so that you can get mail there. But uh, but I, I'm nearly certain that that will stop and it may also help you figure out what was doing it because wherever else you're getting mail will tell you, Hey, I can't log in. The password has changed. And then, uh, you know, you'll, you'll know. And, uh, and that's, that's my answer. And in fact, I did share this with Steve and, and he wrote back and said, yep, but he still can't figure out what it was. He's not getting any notifications from his third party services, but my guess is he authorized something in the past. So good stuff though. That's, that's our troubleshooting tip for you. Craziness. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. But changing the password, that all but guarantees that the only time that changing the password wouldn't is if you're using uh, two-factor authentication to access your mail. Now, iCloud does not do two-factor for mail. I know Apple says they have two-factor, and they do for other things, but it does not impact mail. But if you're doing two-factor, one of two things would be happening. One is this thing would have a token to access it and, and you would have to uh, revoke all your your tokens. Uh, but you can see those typically like on Gmail or something. Or the other would be that you created a separate one time password for uh, something and you would have to go into Google's security. Uh, again, this is if you're using Gmail or or whatever other two factor client and and remove the extra passwords. But Google's great about it because they tell you when the last time each of those one time passwords was used uh, or one app passwords, I should say. So it's good. It's good. But I did promise that I would I would rave about something, John. Um, last week, I, I believe it was listener Jim uh, suggested something we, we put in uh, as cool stuff found called. Sanebox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X. 
and I started using it this week after, you know, reading Jim's description to you all on the show. Uh, John, this is amazing. It, it, for anyone that gets a significant volume of email to your inbox, especially if a good percentage of that volume is things like mailing lists or notifications, uh, stuff that can be prioritized differently, but it's all funneling into the same place. Sanebox intelligently on the server side, so you do have to give them access to your inbox, but uh, on the server side, it processes all this stuff and doesn't delete it, but it just moves uh, stuff by default. It uses just one folder uh, other than your inbox, and it moves all those things into a folder called Sane Later. Uh, you can then get a little more granular and I've created t- a second one called sane news. So it takes all the newsletters and puts those in that one. And then the same later. And uh, even out of the gate, it worked really well. And then you can train it either by going to the web interface and being very granular about it. Or if you just take a message from the sane later folder and say, nope, nope, I want this in my inbox. The next time something like this comes in, it trains it immediately. And uh, it's awesome. It's not free. Um, but I can get us each a, a $5 credit. They've got one of these, you know, mutually beneficial referral link things that I will, uh, that I will happily share. Um, but, uh, but it, it's so awesome. And, uh, I'm in my two week free trial. We all get a two week free trial of it, but, uh, I, I, I imagine that I will be happily, uh, paying for this as time goes forward. So, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I highly recommend you check it out. I can't, I just, I'm so excited about this thing. It's good. It's so good, John. Have did you, I, I imagine you didn't try it. Is this something that's of interest to you? Do you get enough email that, that you would, you would want to do that? Um, I think the next thing I got to do with email is uh, re-examine my rules. Because right now my rules are kind of a mess. Ah, uh, Okay. Well, I got some server-based ones on Gmail, and then I got some mail app-based ones, and I really want to not have them spread about. Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, because right now I'm still storing some stuff locally, and I really shouldn't be. I should be storing everything in IMAP, but the way I'm set up, which is kind of a leftover from before, was, yeah, I, I still store some stuff locally, I, and I, I have some don't st- want to do that. I have some stuff I store locally, but not... Not current stuff. I'll take like messages from, I think I just took messages from 2011 and moved them off into a local archive. Um, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but you know, it, uh, but otherwise, yeah, I store everything on the server. It's great to be able to search and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's good. All right. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to Jeremy because I think that's, uh, well, you know, it's one of these things. Jeremy says, I store my iTunes on an external hard drive, or rather I used to, because I just found my entire iTunes library in the trash. That is, every track is in the trash. But I can't find the iTunes library.itl or .xml or extras.itdb or iTunes music library.xml files. I have no idea how it could have happened, but how do I put it all back together? Okay. So you have the song files, and that's good because uh, without that, you have no songs. Uh, however, without at least one of the iTunes library files, either the ITL or the XML version, uh, you're not going to be able to restore your playlists. Uh, well, 
likely not going to be able to restore your playlists and play counts and all of that good stuff. Uh, those are not stored on your external drive. Typically those would be stored locally on your, your home, uh, uh, on your boot hard drive in your home folder, in the music folder, uh, in the, I believe it's home music. Uh, is it iTunes? They keep moving it around and I'm, yeah, it's home music, iTunes. And that's where you would find those files. Even if the, the music is stored elsewhere, so take a look there, but chances are those are not there. Otherwise, you would have said, I saw all my playlists when I launched iTunes, but all the songs had exclamation points because I couldn't play them. That, that's what that symptom would look like. If uh, in your situation or anybody that's in, in Jeremy's situation, you're going to have to start from scratch-ish. Uh, so here's what I would do. Uh, and, and I'm going to say hello to everybody in the uh, in the chat room here with us at MacGeekab.com slash stream. They have been fantastic at putting all this stuff into the show notes and they, they keep us honest real time, which is fantastic because it, it helps us get things correct. So I'm going to ask you folks to listen here. And if you think I'm explaining this wrong, or if you have a better way, because this is slightly convoluted, but I think you'll follow. So first make a backup of your music files. If possible, I realize that's a lot of data and you may not have the room to make a backup, but if you do, it's safer that way because somehow they got trashed in the first place. Let's, you know, take a copy, store it somewhere, and then uh, set about trying to get this all to work. So launch iTunes and let it set itself up with a blank music library. That's that's sort of necessary. And then go into iTunes and go to iTunes preferences and advanced and see where it is putting your iTunes media folder. Uh, also on that screen for now, uncheck the uncheck, I said, so do not check the copy files to iTunes media folder when adding to library button. We will recheck that later, but I think to get you back in business quickly, this is how we're going to do it. Um, and then in the finder, go to the folder that you found, dig one level deeper into the music and copy all your music files there raw, just into the top level of the music folder. So this is where iTunes is putting your iTunes media. If you want to change that, you would do that in iTunes and, and point it at your external drive. That that would be the right thing. Then uh, back in iTunes, uh, what you're going to do is go to file and choose add to library and select the very music folder that you're using with iTunes. I know this seems a little weird, but what you're going to do is you're going to populate that folder with all your songs. And then you're going to tell iTunes, hey, here's where my songs are. And then it's going to pull them all in. Okay. Uh, and it's gonna, it may take some time for it to go through this and process it. When that's finished, go back to that same preferences screen and make sure both the boxes are checked, which is copy files to iTunes media folder when adding to library and keep iTunes media folder organized. Because right now all you've done is dumped your songs in, um, in, in just at the top level of this folder. And iTunes likes to, to organize things. But now that we've got it in, now that we've got iTunes seeing all your songs, now will go and tell iTunes to organize that folder. Now, checking those boxes is the first step, but the second step to actually make it do the process is in iTunes, go to the file menu, go to library and go to organize library and check the reorganize files box and then click. Okay. That should get it all back into shape for you and move everything into folders. Again, you'll be starting from scratch with playlists and play counts, but at least you've got all your songs. One thing, if in fact you had synced your iTunes library in its entirety to some other device, an iPhone, an iPod, an iPad, whatever, 
you might be able to use an app called Sanuti, S-E-N-U-T-I, which is iTunes backwards, uh, to slurp i to slurp all the data, including playlists, back from your iDevice into iTunes. It, um, but I'm I'm it. Well, I don't know what you have, so that's why I that's why I throw it out there. So, any thoughts on that, John? I'm. <sighs> I'm really concerned about why this happened in the first place. How, well, yeah. How all this stuff appeared in the trash. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, when weird things happen like this, I, and this, this, this harkens back to my consulting days. If it only ever happens once, it's often not worth finding out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, if it's, if it's repeating, well then, okay, now we got to know, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, my curiosity wants to get the best of me. Yes. So, you know, there you go. And hey. I guess this, this is also an argument for using something like iTunes match, right? That it is right. Yeah. Because yep. Or hey, keeping a clone of your, not only your data, but your uh you know your external libraries too i mean if you had a time machine backup you could go get the itunes library.itl file off of your time machine backup and then that would help you you know kind of preserve that playlist stuff it's without all the things being in the right places it gets a little wonky but you could do it so that's that's my thought you know that's where i go I with you know yes all right Let's um, let's go to Ken. More more strangeness with iTunes and uh, and that good stuff. Uh, he says, "Guys, I need help uh, on my wife's 16 gigabyte iPhone 4S. She's completely out of storage space. Uh, she found out when she went to take a photo with our guests from Milan. How do I figure out what's taking up the space so I can try to delete things? Is the problem the 5,000 photos on the phone? If it's the photos, do I number one?" back up to a Mac and transfer all photos. And then two check that they all came over to iPhoto and finally three accept iPhotos offered to purge them from the phone. Then get back a subset via selecting, creating an album and syncing that album. Does that, would that work? And the answer to your second question is yes, that if in fact the photos are the issue that will work, no problem at all. Um, so, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of things to check, though. Uh, first, you can go on the phone and see what the phone reports as taking up all the space. So go to if you go to settings and this is handy for everybody. If you go to on your phone or iPad or iPod touch, you go to settings, general usage, and then uh, a little gear is going to spin for a little bit and then it's going to show you. In order of uh, spaced most taken at the top, it's going to show you what's eating up space on your device. And uh, and so then you can you can sort of manage things. You can see what apps are taking up space and and their data and all of that good stuff. So that that could help you. The other thing to look at, though, is to go into iTunes and connect your your device. Now, it could be wirelessly or uh, via, you know, USB cable. Either one is fine. And then click on your device in iTunes. And on that very first screen that shows up, the summary tab, at the bottom of it, you will see a bar graph uh, that shows the usage data for your phone. 
And what's handy about this is it breaks it out. Uh, it color codes it. And, you know, one color is for movies. One color is for audio files. One color is for photos. And one color is for other. And you can hover over these things and it'll give you some some more detailed data than than just the, you know, the uh, the bar graph shows. But uh, other is one of these life mysteries that everybody, uh, all of us are always trying to solve and narrow, narrow down. There is some of what is in other that's supposed to persist on your phone. Some OS files, temp files wind up sitting in other. Uh, and if other is one gigabyte or less, that's about correct. But if it's a more or a lot more, and I've seen others sitting at like five gigs on some of my devices, then you're in for a different kind of exercise because you want to purge this other. The problem is there is no way to reliably purge this other space. You can search in Google and find all kinds of people that say, yeah, this did this, did this. but for many of us, it doesn't, it, it, it that's just not how it works. Um, so the way to, uh, and one of the things it, it stores is uh, it uses other um, is where temporary storage. When you move a file from one app to another. So you do that inter app communication and it's, it happens in a really weird and bizarre way in iOS. But if you send a very large file from one app to another app, it stores it in a temp space and then the other app gets to read it from the temp space. And that keeps everything safe and doesn't allow one app to read from another app space. If that operation fails, oftentimes the uh, the, resu- the 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 file that was being sent sits in that temp space forever, never ever to be deleted, unless um, you start your iPhone from scratch. Do not restore from a backup, not iCloud, not local, uh, and then manually choose which apps you want to either download or copy from your, you know, your computer over reset up all your passwords and your mail accounts and all of that good stuff. I've been through this recently. Um, and it's not as bad as it sounds. I had sort of, you know, and I think I talked about this on the show, John, but you know, I had stayed away from doing, uh, the, the clean wipe on my iPhone because it seemed like such a bear. It's really not that bad, but it, this is the way to get rid of what's in other And, uh, and especially on a 16 gig phone, if that bloats up to like four gigs, you you know, you got to do it because you've just, you know, you've lost all that space. So hopefully between, uh, some of this, not just, uh, not just you can, but, but many of you can help manage your storage on the iPhone. So, so there you go. Yeah, I did that recently. I actually pulled all the photos off. Because I wasn't really looking at all of them. And yeah, they they built up over time. I think I had oh, a, yeah? a, a 500 or 600 photos. And I'm like, I don't need all of these on here. Right. <laughs> right. And it was taken up. I mean, they, they add up. I, th- I think at least at the iPhone 4, I think each photo is typically a couple of megabytes. But Yeah. Yeah, it can, it can, it can grow very, very quickly. Uh, you know, I had a quick one from uh, from Johnny D, who works with us at uh, at Backbeat Media. He called me this week and he says, oh, my son's iPad one. He gave his original iP- iPad to his son. He says it won't charge anymore. And his son was there on the Skype call. And he's like, yeah, it, you know, it'll like the other day it charged up to twenty nine percent, but it doesn't work. And so I said, well, what's it say when you plug the charger in? Does it even notice that there's a charger there? And the answer was yes. But it said not charging in the uh, in the upper right. Uh, and that 
to uh, to those of us that know, tells us that the iPad is not getting enough power from the charger. And this will happen if you plug into the old uh, five watt chargers. And we had this discussion right several weeks ago, John. So I said, find the charger brick and get out your magnifying glass and read what the wattage is on the thing. And uh, they came back and they said, it's the 10 watt charger. I thought, okay, well, it's possible the charger has gone bad. So I said, you have other iPads plug into that. He came back, you know, 30 seconds later. He's like, yep, I plugged into mom's it's charging. Fine. Everything seems to be good. So he needs to go get a new charger. So, uh, so just remember that, that, uh, that there are many pieces to all these puzzles and narrowing down exactly which of them has your problem can save you uh, headache time. And, and in this case, lots of money. So good to remember, yeah. don't you think Mr. Brown? And it's a great strategy. If you can afford it is just swap out every piece until you find the mm. one that's broken. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, in his case, he was lucky. He had, uh, you know, another charger that was known to be working with another device. And that's, you know, the other key is, OK, does it you know, how can you do this? And, and the other way to test it would have been to plug, you know, his mom's iPad into his charger and see, oh, wait, it does the same thing. Aha. You know, could be the cable, too. Right. You know, but that's where you that's where you isolate one thing at a time. Honoring, as we like to say here, John. Honoring the troubleshooting process. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, all right. I'm going to throw this out there. I'm not sure how far you and I are going to get with it, John, but, uh, but I'm going to throw it out there because it's an interesting mental exercise uh, that we got from listener Chris. And perhaps one of you will, uh, will have a, a thought about it uh, that we can, that we can share back with Chris. So as it goes, Chris says, I have a query, which I'm hoping you can help me out with. I use my Mac with Logic Pro X10 uh, to record my own music. A while ago, I purchased a native instruments plugin called Guitar Rig, which came with its own proprietary foot pedal for switching patches and using effects like Wawa. I've stopped using Guitar Rig quite so much these days, but would still love a way to use this USB-based foot pedal with other Logic-based plugins. Do you know of any software which could listen to a USB input and change the data it receives into MIDI signals? Okay, so this is this gets geeky, but um, and I don't have the answer, but I'm going to kick us off with sort of where I, you know, where I go with this, John. Um, my initial thought is maybe something like one of these generic USB drivers, like USB overdrive or something could be involved. And then having that either trigger, you know, and maybe keyboard maestro would be, would be used, you know, once, once you get a signal in via USB that can be like scripted keyboard maestro could take it the rest of the way. And maybe there's a way to Apple script universal access to interface with these other plugins that obviously aren't built to receive input directly from this USB thing. I mean, you're going to have to do some user interface scripting, but Apple Script's actually pretty good at that. And um, and and maybe there's something here. I, thoughts on this, John? This is just fascinating to me. Huh. I mean, yeah. The challenge here would be how how do you how what clever way can you talk with this device and i'm wondering if it maps itself as something 
else. So one thing, of course, is, yeah, you need the driver to use it with certain software. Right. But I'm wondering if you can get it to map itself. So I've seen this with some USB devices. So one, I wonder if it maybe actually looks like uh, what we typically call a HID or human interface device. And I wonder if it like a keyboard look kind like of thing. a keyboard. Exactly. Uh. In which case you could monitor it and, you know, interact with it. You'd still have to write some software. But I wonder if I could do that. The other thing that I've seen, Dave, is that a lot of people use, um, uh, and I actually verified this, uh, a lot of people use uh, a chip and driver combination from a company called FTDI. And the nice thing about that is that that lets you map a USB device to a virtual COM port, oh. which is a little easier to approach. And I actually experimented with this um, uh, in that I was... Uh, you know, helping troubleshoot some of these devices here. And actually you can, what did I get on the Mac? I forgot if it was Z term or something. Oh yeah. There's still some terminal programs out there for the Mac. And I was actually able, actually able to take one of these devices uh, with the driver and then run a terminal program. And I was able to interact with the, with a device that otherwise would require you to write a, a USB driver, which is generally a pain in the neck. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 So, uh, one other thing that Chris in the chat room suggested, uh, and I believe it's a different Chris than sent in this question, though I believe both of you are in the UK, uh, is an app called MIDI Pipe, M-I-D-I-P-I-P-E, from subtlesoft.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but uh, but this may also, he says he knows a lot of people that use uh, MIDI Pipe to uh to get Wirecast to, to your uh, well, somebody else in the chat room is saying MIDI pipe to get Wirecast to use the a different controller and that sort of thing. So, so there may be something here because it, this might be coming in as a MIDI device. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that, but that's most that actually makes the most sense is if this USB thing appears as a, a MIDI controller. Um, that would be the well, it would be a convenient thing, wouldn't it? Whether or not that's what they did. Um, I guess Chris will find out. So, all right. And yeah. Well, this was more successful that. than I expected. Yeah. Well, you can also see that Dave. I, I don't really run this. I, I would expect someone like you that yeah. works with musical devices, but yeah, there's this program that I think is still built in here called audio MIDI setup. That'll it show is. the MIDI devices. Okay. Yep. That your computer knows about. Yep. And the audio devices that your computer knows about It's You know, it's uh, it's actually quite interesting. So, yeah. If you uh, audio MIDI setups, an interesting app. If you ever have a problem where your sound input, like if for recording or your sound output starts getting sounding wonky, uh, thin or and, and I mean, like notably wonky, like very digitized in a way, you may wind up going to your audio MIDI setup and going to built in output. One of the things that you can change is the format of the sound coming out. And uh, I believe the default is 44.1 kilohertz uh, or 44,100 Hertz and uh, two channel 24 bit integer. But if it gets set to 16 bit or 48 kilohertz, some apps can just totally fall apart. I remember we had a problem with Skype actually uh, years ago. I don't know if it's the case anymore, but totally borking on, uh, on that. So so there you go. Um, there you go. That's that. Good. Oh, thank you. This is the See that went. I, we got more than more than we bargained for. So thanks to uh, to Chris and Brian in the chat room on that one, too. Thanks, guys. It's uh, it's fantastic having you all here with us. 
All right. Uh, our first sponsor for this show is a longtime sponsor of Mac Geek Gab, Gazelle.com. Uh, they are the place to sell your old um, and used, gently used, properly used Apple devices, laptops, iPads, iPhones, all that stuff. We all know that the fall is upon us. Almost, almost. We're still enjoying summer. But those of us that plan ahead see that the fall is upon us. And often in the fall, what happens is Apple starts releasing new little uh, electronic devices ahead of the holiday season. And I would bet, if I were a betting man, that sometime between September 1st and October 31st, Apple will have announced uh, not only a new iPhone, but a new iPad mini as well. And perhaps other things, too. Of course, we don't know what they have up their sleeves, but that's pretty predictable uh, this time around. So uh, you can go to Gazelle and find out today what your uh, iDevice is worth and get it. If you go through the process of getting a quote from them, it costs you nothing. In fact, none of the process with Gazelle costs you anything. Go through the process of getting a quote. Here's the rub. That quote is good for 30 days. So if you are wise enough to do this and, and time it right so that you get your quote before prices start to dip uh, ahead of a new thing coming out, well, then you get a little more for your device than you would if you did this the day after, even though you can still sell it the day after you get your new one, as long as you're within your 30 day window. So, uh, so check it out at Gazelle. It's a good place to go and play around. Uh, it costs you nothing when you do finally go through the process of, of sending your stuff in, they send you a box and you put your, uh, old device in the box, send it off to them. They confirm that it is what you said. And then they send you your money. And uh, we have, and we've shared them. We've had countless stories from Mac Geekab listeners who have used Gazelle and have had absolutely wonderful customer experiences there, myself included. Uh, but they, they really go above and beyond. They get that, uh, you know, uh, something I always like to say that every business is the customer service business. And, uh, and Gazelle certainly gets that. So we are happy to have them as a sponsor and work with them as a partner. But, uh, but uh, go check it out. Gazelle.com. It's the place to start. Uh, then from there, you make some decisions and off you go. All right, John, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of tips to share. I love this stuff. It's good. Um, it's good. So let's go back to our friend Leon that, uh, that I believe we heard from at the very, very, very beginning of the show, John. And he has a, what I'll call a cool stuff found. He says, uh, Though it may keep your Mac awake during a prolonged process, uh, I like much more control by using sensors that monitor my Mac. And when the process has completed, it follows the energy saver preferences. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about a program I found called Should I Sleep? Uh, it is a piece of software that intelligently monitors your uh, Mac in terms of CPU usage, uh, Network usage, you can set all kinds of different sensors. The app is $199. It comes with a bunch of built-in sensors. You can add more. Uh, it's, an, it's an extensible thing. And it, it instead of, it, he says, uh, you know, for example, he says, I use, he says, I bought two sensors, one to monitor network traffic and one to monitor processor activity. He says, I use these sensors so that when I'm doing something like a crash plan backup, 
uh, that has to run for an unknown amount of time. The sensors keep checking both the processor and, C- and network activity. And when it falls below a threshold that Leon has said, uh, he says, then it will allow the computer to go to sleep. Otherwise, it keeps it awake until the backup finishes, which I think is brilliant. Uh, and, and to be able to configure this stuff is even more brillianter. So uh, so this is cool. It's from uh, it's called Should I Sleep? It's available in the App Store, but you can read a whole lot more about it at their website at MrMilk.com. So. Uh, so, yeah, it's cool stuff. It's uh, I love this kind of thing. This 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 sounds like something I'm going to need, John. Don't you think? Mr. Milk, <laughs> Mr. Milk. It's Mr. Milk Technology Dreams is the website there. <laughs> But it's cool. But no, so it gets even cooler. Like it's not just sleeping when not. We're not just talking about sleeping when you're not there. Even when you are there, sometimes, you know, you're you're reading a Web page and especially happens to me on my laptop. Right. Where I've got, you know, on battery power, I've got it set pretty aggressively. And I'm in the middle of reading a website. And what happens? The screen dims, you know, because it goes down to that like half power after a minute or something because I'm on my battery. It's like, no, dude, I I don't want to have to tap the trackpad. I want to just keep reading. So should I sleep solves that too? It has face detection, right? Uh, Which captures video from the video camera just before the display is dimmed and decides if it sees a face, do not let it dim. Right. Um, And you can have camera motion do this. You can, uh, you can have it not sleep. If an external display is plugged in, you cannot. Have it not sleep if ambient sound is detected. I mean, this is cool stuff, John. So, <laughs> so you could, if you yell at your computer, it won't go to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Very, very cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I gotta, I gotta play with this. I just, I just read about it yesterday or whenever we were prepping the show. I was like, oh, dude, this is. This is going to be something I use. I, th- I th- really think I'll use it on my laptop, on my MacBook Air, where, you know, that kind of thing drives me to drink. Not literally, usually. All right. Uh, another tip, John, that, that dovetails into uh, some new hardware you got uh, from Joe. Are you ready? Or so Joe, I help me go? out. I am yeah. ready. Good. Well, Joe, help me out here. So, so the beginning of the story is uh, that I got uh, one of the toys that I ordered, which is a... Airport Express second generation refurb. So this is the latest one. And the refurb, I mean, there was no reason not to do it, Dave. I mean, it was 85 bucks refurb, right. 99 bucks regular. It's like, I mean, what could somebody even possibly do to, <laughs> to this thing you to know, damage it? As, as a tangent, I, I, I will say that if something I want from Apple is available as a refurb, I will buy it that way 100% of the time. And there's two reasons. Number one, there, there has never been a noticeable physical blemish on anything I've bought refurb. And number two, the stuff that you get as a refurb uh, has been through a, uh, you know, a, a technician's hands to make sure that it works right and whatever was wrong with it has been fixed. And then number three, which is the bonus, it comes with exactly the same warranty as it would if it were brand new. So it's actually had more time through Apple's hands and costs less. So 
it, there's no reason not to buy refurb. And if it's something that would be in the refurb store, but is out of stock, if I don't need it right away, I'll wait. That's how I got my Apple TV and uh, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, there you go. So cool thing. Number one. So I get it and, you know, I figure, yeah, let's get started. So I plug it in, go to my computer. So the first cool thing is that I saw a new entry in my airport menu and the new entry was a new time capsule. Or, or new uh, new uh, airport express. Yep. Okay. It actually named it that, so it had an explicit entry. It's like, okay, I know that you just plugged this thing in here. Here's a choice in the airport menu, separate from the other items. Uh, and clicking on that started the airport utility. So that was kind of neat. Is that the the setup process? Is that you know I didn't even have to read anything. It, it was it, I just knew where to look. Then I ran the airport utility, and here was the cool part, Dave. It's like, oh, all right. Well, you're already connected to another Apple uh, big boy. Uh, product here. You want to set this up as an extension? <laughs> it's like, exactly. Yes, that's exactly what I want to do. And I think it even populated the um, uh, fields because it already saw what I was connected to. Sure. So, dude, I mean, the setup is way nicer, especially for setting up an extension. I mean, the, the old unit, uh, both WDS and 802.11G, the, the, which is my older one. Yep. I mean, that was a nightmare to set that up for, for uh, extending a network. Or and relatively it, and even then, af- after you finished, it still didn't work right. Right. I mean, that, you know, regardless yeah, of the, the process. Yeah, the thing is, if you got one there. MAC address wrong, it was very, yeah, it was a yeah. pain in the neck. So this was painless. And once it was hooked up, I'm like, oh, cool. Now, how do you know if it's hooked up? Now, here's the other part. So, so when you set up an extension, it... You, you still only see one SSID. What happens is that, you know, whatever devices are out there are going to pick the best one or the closest one. Uh, yeah, okay. And it does show up as a distinct device. So it, it shows up in the airport utility as a distinct device with the little dotted line going to the device that's extending. Nice. But it also shows you what is connected to it because that's then kind of the mystery now is, all right, well, am I really connected to it or am I connected to yeah. the, uh, the main base station? And the airport utility shows you that because otherwise there's no way for you to tell. Well, right. I guess you could look at the MAC address of, you know, if you hold on option with the airport menu, then you'll see the characteristics of what you're connected to. So, I yeah, guess you can you can narrow it down. But this is easier, way easier. Right. Yeah. So then I ran a speed test because we got a report from someone saying that, well, you know, when I set up an extended network, uh, I saw my throughput go down by like half. And I'm like, really? I'm like, oh, all right. so. I, I ran a speed test and I saw little or no degradation. Now, here's the way I'm set up. So I'm set up as 802.11 and 2.4 gigahertz on my main unit. On your, on your original radio. time capsule with one radio. On my radio. time capsule. Okay. And then this one, of course, this is a dual radio unit, is that it has two radios, so it, it makes both a two and a five available. But it's uh, I have it set up to communicate at 2.4 to the time capsule. Okay. Okay, so uh, but I saw I saw no degradation in in performance, and I'm like, well, that's weird because you know we're uh, I've read numerous reports. Now you saw online. no no degradation in performance. This is fascinating to me, right? Because for years we've our experience has been that extending a wireless network, uh, you know, works only for a handful of people out of every thousand, and we don't recommend it, and we recommend Powerline. But this this now is changing that. What I'm curious is I want to I want to dig in here because I want to figure this out. Um, when you say you saw no degradation, what uh, um, 
it, what what uh, what frequency were you using? Were you using five gigahertz to connect to the new extension or were you using two point four? Because we know that your uh, your new airport express is connecting via 2.4 gigahertz back to your time capsule because that's all it's currently broadcasting right so what i'm curious of is when you connect to at 2.4 to the new one is that you know which way are you connecting at five or 2.4 because if you're connecting at five that makes sense right because it's using 2.4 ported as your backhaul and then five as its broadcast for that particular device uh nope i was using 2.4 for everything Okay. Well, that's kind of weird. And you're testing no, this. That you're testing this with speed test, like over the internet, or you're using something yes. like iPerf. Okay, so you're not actually you're testing internet speeds, which is way slower than yes. your your network speeds. I'd be curious how how much degradation you see if you use something like iPerf, uh, which on the Mac is way right. easier to use uh, as a as its Java counterpart, which is JPerf. And you set up mm-hmm. a you set up a server. One Mac is a server, and one Mac is the client. And you blast data between them. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've run that before when I was testing a gigabit Ethernet uh, throughput. Yeah, right, right. When I was uh, being silly and doing jumbo packets, and you were like, "Well, that makes a difference. What are you doing that for?" Right. I'm like, yes, it does. It, it makes a tiny little difference. You can right. squeak that extra performance out. Yeah. But no. So my observation was when I was connected to the the extension. Uh, I would not see uh, the performance was the same. And that goes against uh, information I got from a number of sources. Yeah. So I I sent out a, you know, and I babbled about this on on Twitter and uh, and Joe actually uh, wrote back. I'm like, can anybody try this and let me know what they find? And so Joe actually did a benchmark and, and helped convince me that I'm not crazy. And he (laughs) said, well, you know, I did the same thing here. So, so here's what I, uh, Observe. So he has the same setup. He has a time capsule. He didn't say which version. Uh, I don't think it's important here. Right. Um, and so he said, uh, I did a couple of tests. So I did one with the connected directly to the time capsule. And I saw 20. Wait, megabits wait, let me down. let me tell you just because he said this in reverse order. But but in, as far as the listener goes, the first test he did connecting at five gigahertz. And then the second set of tests, he did at 2.4. So now go ahead and, and share your speed. So number one, we're, we're talking about five, right? All right. Yeah. So the, the, there are a couple of variables here, but what he observed was, all right, with a five gigahertz signal, um, he would see 21 megabits down, 1.7 up. When he, was, when he was connected directly to the time capsule, he was connected to an 802.11 second generation Airport Express, which is what we both have. Yep. He would see virtually basically the same performance. Thing. Yep. Um, and the other thing is that when you run airport utility it reports the throughput between the extension and the main one. And in this case, it reported 144 megabits. Like, That's oh, okay. whoa! Wait, wait, wait! Slow down. So airport utility tells you what the back, what I referred to as the backhaul bandwidth between the two routers is. That's cool. Correct. I'm looking right now, and so I see Airport Express. I see a dotted line to my time capsule, and if I click on the Airport Express, it says, "Oh, okay, well." Here's the name of the network connection. Excellent. And yeah, it's saying right now, Wi-Fi 144 megabits per second, RSSI negative 44 physical mode 802.11. Whoa. Okay. That's cool. I like that. So I think that's they, cool. uh, so actually they're, yeah, they're, they're reporting uh, more data than I need, but, but no, it's, it's, it's useful. And then, so here's the second test that he did. And now here's 
So two variables changed, though. One is that he was using a first-generation Airport Express, and the second is that the connection was 2.4 gigahertz. And in that case, when he was connected directly to the time capsule, he saw 23 megabits down, 1.6 up, pretty much the same. Yep. When he was connected to a first-generation Airport Express, he saw 12 down, 12 megabits down, and 1.6 up. Hmm, huh. okay. Well, that kind of matches what someone else reported in that they saw about half of the through downstream throughput when they were connected to the extension. Okay, yeah, right, right. So... Now, it could be that well, the first-generation Airport Express... Or, yeah. Well, the, 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 the one difference I noticed, though, Dave, is that in the test where he got identical throughput, it was with a second-generation Airport Express. With the test where it was half, oh. he was using a first-generation Airport Express. So I don't know if it's because he's using a first-generation Airport Express or because it was done on 2.4 gigahertz. Yeah, right. We would need a test uh, with the second-gen using 2.4 to narrow that variable down. That's right. That's so right. all I'm going to say is that I'm going to take back, because I saw it with my own eyes, yep. I'm going to take back the statement that an extension always degrades performance. Now, I don't know if they did something cool and new in the second generation Airport Express that makes it more efficient. Well, you, but again, just so, I know you understand this, but just so listeners understand, um, it, it is always going to degrade performance. What you're not finding, though, is that it's not degrading performance enough to impact your Internet speeds. But in all of these yeah. cases, your cable modems uh, speeds are the limiting factor, right? Because you're doing a speed test online, which, listen, that's for a, for a lot of people. That's the most important metric, because if you're not transferring data between your multiple computers in the house, then the only thing that matters is how fast every device can get in and out from the internet. And for you, that's it's mm-hmm. negligible or no difference. Right. So, um, I, I bet it, but, but the geek in me now is curious. So I want to hear about, you know, your, your J perf tests to see how much degradation you're really getting because, and if it's, if it's negligible, uh, or mitigatable, then man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like it. The other thing is, of course, now it also uh, provides me with a, uh, yeah, it's a cute little thing. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Huh. It, uh, it's similar in that it takes one to, you know, it takes power straight from the wall. Actually, it's a, it's a power cord. But the other thing now I have it set up for is, uh, which I had the, the other one set up for, but of course, is uh, AirPlay. And right. It's kind of neat because seeing it show up in, various places where I didn't necessarily expect it. So one thing, of course, is like, for for example, the iPhone. Oh, yeah. Is when I bring up certain screens, you can see that AirPlay, you know, the, the icon with the little up-pointing arrow. Uh, or in iTunes, the other thing is you kind of notice, oh, look. And, and the other thing is it shows up as a output source now. In uh, sound output, sure. it'll show AirPlay as a uh, destination now. Uh, with so with uh, Mountain Lion, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, uh, so I'm very I may, happy. Uh, I, I may be through your area in, in uh, September when I go down to P-Mug. Oh. So uh, so we might have to we might have to get together and do a little J-perfing. So but uh, it's cool. Oh, the other thing. Yeah, I can. I think I can set up a guest network with this, which I think yep. on my time capsule wasn't done quite right. So I got to play with that, too. Yeah, okay. I guess you can set up a temporary network for guests where it just it limits them to just using the internet and keeps them off your local network. Right. 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 Cool. Wow. That's awesome, man. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. 
All right. Uh, I found a couple of uh, cool things found this week that I, I just didn't want to save them for a cool stuff found show, because why should we? Uh, Firecore, the people that make the ATV flash and all that stuff, they have an iOS app t- uh, to watch videos called Infuse, I-N-F-U-S-E. And uh, they came out with a new version this week that adds a ton of stuff, all kinds of supported video formats. It's almost like we've gone back to the way VLC player for iOS used to be. So you don't have to convert stuff to play it. You know, it's not going to change the default videos app, obviously. But uh, but you go get Infuse and it's uh, it's five bucks, it's, you know, four ninety nine on the App Store. And uh, it'll play HD uh, all different formats, you know, OGM and it'll play FLV. It'll play all kinds of great stuff. So, uh, so, and it's got a nice UI. It's cool. So go ahead and check it out. It's, uh, like I said, it's cool stuff found. So that's, that's what we do. And then another one, an app that has finally come out. Uh, and that's the name of it. Finally, uh, is an app that remembers what you were playing in iTunes and where you were. Have you ever been playing something in iTunes And then you quit iTunes or you have to restart your computer for some reason. And when you come back around, iTunes is like, hi, what would you like to play? I want to play what I played before I quit you. Every other app remembers all the documents I had open and where I was. iTunes doesn't, but finally monitors iTunes and restores it exactly there. And it's pretty customizable. It's a. it's two bucks uh, in uh, I'm not sure if it's in the Mac app store or not. I don't think it is. I think you just buy it at finally with two wise dot uh, com. But uh, but you, um, you you can configure it to just like set your place, but not play. Right. So you have to I- I initiate the play, but it'll resume right from like the middle of the song that you came from. Or uh, you can have it auto play. If, in fact, you were playing before you quit iTunes, it will auto play. When uh, when you come back. So it's pretty cool. Pretty simple app lives in your menu bar. But uh, but I use iTunes a lot and I I wind up going like an hour not listening to something because I had to, you know, quit and relaunch or whatever. And then it's like, oh, yeah, where where, where was I? You know, so because I like to listen to albums at a time and that kind of thing or, or live shows or whatever. So it's uh, it's a good, uh, good thing. Very good thing. Fun stuff. We talked a lot about batteries and uh, in the in the last show, too, and we got quite a few follow ups on uh, on batteries. So we'll read them. And then I think, John, you got some of these batteries that you ordered. Indeed. Yeah. Andy uh, wrote in and said, I, I have been very happy with the any loop batteries. And I believe any loop are uh, are those Samsung batteries. Is that right? Uh, Sanyo. Sanyo. Sorry. Sanyo and batteries. Panasonic then. Okay, that's what. Okay, that's right. Okay, so he says. uh, He says I also got a third-party fast charger for them, which is awesome, uh, and hasn't appeared to have any negative effect. And uh, and the chargers that uh, that he found that that uh, a lot of the people in the audiovisual world uh, recommend are Ansman chargers, A N S M A N N, and Horizon battery sells them. So we'll put that out there. But they they fast charge. But yeah, these. uh, And then uh, uh, Leon suggested the Tenergy T-E-N-E-R-G-Y batteries uh, are also known for extremely low discharge when not in use and are very good in cold weather. He says, I use the D size in our external house lights that only come on at night when motion is detected and turn back off after 30 seconds. 
10,000 milliamp hours, and I just charged them today from a charge last December. These two uh, separate lights are not grid connected and activate only when there's activity in the driveway and steps to the front door. So uh, so that's Tenergy batteries, which we will also put on the list. But I checked out these AnyLoop batteries and, uh, you know, I had not dug in, John, on on the new fangled uh, rechargeables. These things are cool. I wound up uh, I wound up putting a, uh, a a whole big they they have like this uh, forty five dollar super power pack on Amazon. So I put it on my wish list and uh, I'll, I'll either buy it for myself or somebody to get it for me or whatever. But um, but uh, it you know it's got a bunch of batteries. But what's cool about it is you get a bunch of double A sized batteries and a bunch of triple A sized batteries, and then you get spacers that take your double A's. Uh, and convert them into the size of C or D batteries for the devices uh, that require things of that form factor, which I thought was pretty smart. So, uh, so there you oh, go. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. If, if you didn't, but yeah, a lot of, uh, well, you, you kind of gave away the secret now, but the thing is a lot of larger batteries are just the smaller batteries. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Inside of them. Right. I don't think there's much difference. So, so the ones that I got, so yeah, so I got, so they have two different versions now. So I got the 2000 milliamp hour, uh, double A's. They also from, have some that are uh, from an, the, you got the Eneloop ones, the Eneloop. Yep. Yes. Okay. So I got those. So I got what I got a four of those and a charger and that was about 20 bucks. And then I got eight more and that was about 20 bucks. For that, and the so the thing about them, so one is that the the they're a nickel metal hydride, and that right. may be important if the device you're using it in, like in my case, I am, uh, has a way to tell it that it, uh, different battery technology is in there. And mm-hmm. actually, this camera, you can say, oh, by the way, they're NIMH batteries. I think so. It uh, because I think that the voltages or, or whatever the voltage curve or something, it basically helps the camera not say the batteries are dead when they're not. Right. <laughs> as far as I can tell. Right. right but yeah. So right. I got them. And so far, uh, I actually. So the thing about them is that they don't lose their charge is that after three years, I think they hold 70 percent of their charge. And actually, they come pre-charged that I didn't charge them when I got them. I just threw them in. Yeah. Uh, the camera. And I've been getting maybe three, four hundred shots off a set of four alkalines. And so far, uh, the first set that I have, which I assume were, you know, charged up almost to the top. But I've already been through maybe 150 shots and it hasn't the the battery gauge has yet not yet gone down so so they seem to uh yeah hold their charge and the thing is you can i think this model you can recharge 3000 times and uh the higher energy ones uh which i think are like 2500 milliamp hours i think that you, you can't charge them as many times but they have more juice oh that's interesting um and i think a set of four takes about seven hours to charge okay with a regular charger i just got their their, their standard the, charger. yeah not the fast charger or whatever sure yeah yeah this so is far fascinating they seem, stuff. they seem good and and again the benefit of these i, I guess a lot of oh and the other thing is the almost everybody acknowledges is that's what Apple is using in their kit. And I was looking at the Apple kit, but the problem is they offer the, their configuration didn't really meet my needs. Number one, their charger is a two battery charger and they give you six batteries mm-hmm. and that kind of doesn't fit for my needs, which is I need a multiple of four. Right, 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 right. Yeah. This is cool stuff, man. The tech, you know, it's good. I'm glad we're, we're staying on top of this stuff because it changes, you know, my old crappy, I mean, they were 1800 milliamp, but they didn't last or charge like these things are supposed to. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's cool a no-brainer because when I was at the store recently, I mean, for a set of double A's, you're probably talking at least five bucks for, for regular alkaline batteries if you, if you buy them, you know, in sets of four and not in bulk. Yep. And, you know, that's already comes back to me after using it four times. Yeah, right, right, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Cool. All right. Well, uh, this is good. This is a, this is a very, very good. Um, all right. So we got a couple more tips to share first. Uh, I do have some very definitive information for those of you uh, that have premium gifts coming to you. I know it's taking a long time. We've said this before. We've said it to you via email. We're saying it again here. And I'm sorry about that. And I'm, uh, and I, I, I know I speak on behalf of uh, both of us when I say, we are so thankful for your patience as we work through this first round of uh, of premium gifts. It, it, it's it, nobody's even complained. I mean, some of you have asked what's going on. Did I miss something? I and mean, that's that's totally understandable. But nobody's complained. I mean, it's it's humbling. We don't deserve the amount of patience we've gotten from you. But we're trying to do this right. And uh, this is a new process for us and dealing with fulfillment houses and all that stuff. So it's been very interesting. Uh, but. Uh, I thought things were going to ship this week. And then we heard from our fulfillment partner that the manufacturer was delayed and things won't ship until August 27th. But I believe that date has a lot of Scotty principle built into it, which means I can guarantee things are going to ship out that week. And if they don't, heads are going to roll. But uh, but no, I I feel very confident that they will they will ship out that week. So uh, so again, thank you for your patience. My apologies for uh, for all the confusion on this one. But uh, well, you all rock. So, and if you're interested in a premium membership, you can just go to MacGeekab.com and, and click on the link there. And, uh, it's your way of helping directly support the show. And, um, uh, and also, uh, you know, you do qualify for these gifts that we do send out. We're not just making it up. We promise, you know, you'll get it. We, we, and then we'll do this right now that we've got this process down, um, or once we've got this process down, I, should, I shouldn't put the cart in front of the horse. We will uh, we will be doing this, you know, more regularly as demand uh, at least once a year, but uh, but perhaps even every six months. And it'll be a different gift every time. So uh, we promise. But uh, but thank you. So uh, two more things, though, two tips that uh, I came up with this week, John, um, they uh it, it, so, uh, again, back to the guys that, at work at, at, at Backbeat, uh, Jeff Q, Jeff Quistad had uh, an iPhone 5 that he uh, has dropped three times now. Uh, the first time he dropped it in water, like two weeks after he got it. Thankfully, he had bought insurance. So that was, you know, whatever the $50 deductible new phone. Then he like dropped it and smashed it and $50 deductible new phone. And guess what? No more insurance because they drop you after your second claim. That's how the insurance works. Uh, but you don't have to keep paying. So that's good, you know. Um, and then recently he had it in one of these like super non-destructo cases, but he dropped it perfectly so that the screen got a very hairline crack in it down the middle. And uh, and he brought it into the Apple store and expected them to go through their, you know, hundred and forty nine dollar uh, screen replacement, you know, digitizer replacement process. And uh, the genius looked at it. Now, this this could have been. Uh, truly a case of it being covered or the genius just having mercy on Jeff's soul. But, uh, but the genius said, Oh, that kind of hairline crack is covered under your warranty. Here's a new phone. You know, four minutes later, he walked out of the store, brand new phone. 
So uh, so don't assume that a crack in your screen is not covered. Do go in and be very polite and honest to the gene genius that you speak with and explain what happened. Uh, because I think they at some level may still have some discretion. And uh, but but definitely, you know, this hairline crack uh, didn't cost him anything. So I found that fascinating. And, you know, it was because he dropped it. There was no question about it. You know, and they, he told them that. So. Very interesting, John. Very interesting. And one last tip that I had forgotten about uh, and had gotten used to living with uh, is that in OS 10, you still can have all of your scroll, all of your windows show scroll bars always. And uh, I'd forgotten about this because I'd kind of I'd done it when you were first able to do it with whatever it was, Lion or Mountain Lion. I can't remember. Uh, when they started hiding the scroll bars from me and I wanted them back. Uh, and it very, it's very easy. You go to system preferences on your Mac, you go to general, you go to show scroll bars and you choose, guess what? Always or when scrolling or automatically based on master trackpad, but always is the one I like because I like to see my scroll bars and it makes it less of a wonky experience dealing with scrolling around and, and doing different things. So, uh, so that's the way I like it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. That's how we do it. All right. That's all the tips we got for today. I think that was, that show is chock full, John. It's good stuff. These batteries chock. are fascinating me. I'm getting, like, all antsy. I got to get some. Maybe it's the caffeine that's making me all antsy. I don't know. Could Ooh. be both. Maybe it's both. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the address to which you can send your comments, questions, tips, cool stuff found, whatever you like. Complaints, notices, subpoenas, I don't know. <laughs> Someone I know just got one of those. That's not good. Got served. You've been served. That's right. But Dave, I, I, I'm pretty sure you said feedback at MacGeekUp. I said feedback at MacGeekUp.com. For those of you that are part of the premium program, uh, as I said, we appreciate everything about uh, what you're doing for us. And you get a special email address you can send to premium at MacGeekUp.com. And uh, and you get you do get priority uh, questions answered and uh, all that good stuff. That box is monitored more aggressively, although we really do try to, to answer everything at, at, you know eventually. Um, mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. You can call us 206-666-GEEK. John, which is? 4335. 4335? Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. You can see uh, the show notes that are lovingly handcrafted by uh, by everyone, and then the uh, beautiful, beautiful final touches put on by Mr. John F. Braun right there uh, at MacGeekGab.com as well. How else can they find us, John? Well, like I mentioned, uh, sometimes we interact during the week when we get new toys, and uh, uh, at least I do some of that on Twitters. And on the Twitter, I'm John Front. He is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete, who seems to be lost. I think he's flying. Well, no, I hope he's not lost. Oh, no, we don't want him to ear hard on us. No, that's not good. <laughs> he's Pilot Pete. Uh, the podcast is Mac Geekab, and the publication is Mac Observer. 
Absolutely. You can find us Facebook.com slash MacGeekab. We post all this stuff there, too, uh, in addition to creating events for this live show. And yes, I know I did created this one about six hours ago. I created it right before I went to bed and then woke up and uh, we did the, the show. It's uh, my apologies. Mia culpa. All right. Uh, John, I think that's it. That gets us, uh, that checks off all the boxes. So with that, I think it's time to move on and offer just a couple of thank yous before we leave. The thank yous we'd like to offer start with Michael Johnston from We Have Communicators Podcast and also GetAppler.com. He is the, uh, he is the man behind the chapters. He converts the show for us and for you each and every week and he's so good at it. Thank you, Michael. And of course, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth for us and our sponsors in the podcast marketplace and, and the podcast marketplace is those sponsors that, uh, that are on board with us Long term, and we we certainly appreciate it. And then they include BB Edit from Barebones Software, Text Expander, and everything else that those folks make over at Smile, Gazelle.com, as we mentioned in the show, Squarespace.com, and uh, and Warby Parker uh, with their MGG Ship code to get you free expedited shipping on your new glasses. We'll talk more about them next show, I think. All through Backbeat Media. And with that, I do have uh, have some advice to share. You know, make sure you get the right batteries. Make sure you get the, the right, uh, you set your right scroll settings. Make sure you don't use too much data on your iPhone. And what we've really been saying all the way through the show is don't get caught. Made up.